Ryan on this one. It wasn't too bad. It literally was like two things where you just it was the uh, like the annihilation, like like it, like it kind of goes digital. But no, like no, that's actually just the sound he made. <laughs> I don't know if you've actually talked to Ryan, but there's occasional times where he's like, he's like, you know, you know, you know, you know I speak two time. languages, English and Scanline, so. <laughs> so like, you know in Metal Gear Solid 3 when you run into Revolver Ocelot and he does that out into the sky, out the sky. Like, it's super weird. Like, Ryan just does that all the time. He did that before the game even came out. It's bizarre. God damn it, Ben. <laughs> this is, that's... Oh, man, I love you so much. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to the Environment Art Podcast, episode four. Today we have an awesome guest, Mr. Ben Nicholas. He's Hi. a <laughs> he's a senior <laughs> concept artist at Ubisoft. <laughs> And he's going to sit here with us and talk about environment art, concept art, and everything in between. So, I'm uh, just too enthusiastic. <laughs> just too enthusiastic. I start off a high, like, way too early. Uh, <laughs> no, it is super, it's super, super awesome to finally chat with you guys. Like, we've known each other for a long time. But Heck yeah. This is the yeah. first time we've actually gotten to chat properly, which is really, really wonderful. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that actually, when I, I talk about that and I think the first cast that... I met Ryan over Twitter, and I met you as well around the same time, and I just was always blown away by by your work. You, you started to really like have this cadence with your personal work, where you were just like throwing out all these these different little pieces and uh, some fan art, some of your own stuff, and then it throughout the years has actually become more conceptual, and it's still some of my favorite stuff to see. Uh, not to mention means, be inspired by. So, dude, that means that is extremely humbling to hear. So, like, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Heck yeah. I mean, I guess the, the one thing that we can start off with here is just, you know, you, you were an environment artist. I, I remember when I first got into contact with you, you were working, I believe, at 343 at the time. Yep. And you were doing environment art. And then next thing I know, you're now a legitimate senior concept artist at Ubisoft. So yep. maybe we can get through a little bit of how your career path changed and what kind of went through your head and, and, and maybe even starting with how you got into the industry and how you became an environment artist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, like it, it's it's a weird thing. So I'll be the first to admit that my career path is, has always been a little bit weird. I, I think partly because I've always gone with my gut and kind of like decisions that felt right. But uh, I mean, it's it's very fascinating because the first time I used 3D, I was actually like 13. Wow. I had a buddy of mine who is still like one of my best friends, like hand me like a cracked copy of Bryce Five. Uh, if you guys yes. remember Bryce. Yes. Uh, that was and, the first 3D program I ever used as well. Too. Yeah, and so like I was even using it at the beginning of high school. And so like, it was really funny because I actually like my long-term goal, like since I was like 14 was I was like, I'm gonna become a journalist. I was like, I'm really like, I loved writing and I was like, I wanna travel and I wanna be a journalist. Um, and I was also like really interested in politics. So it was this really weird duality of like going on these weekend speech and debate trips and then I had this like 
this really like ramshackle, like Mad Max computer that was just pieced together by a friend of mine. And it was taking like 72 hours to render like these 15, 30 second animations. And so I was, as I was gone for the weekend to do like politicking and whatnot, like I was rendering out working on these scenes. And then I eventually transitioned over into like 3ds Max and then started learning that by the time I was like, I think 15. Awesome. Um, and so I, I I was doing 3D on the side, but like, I, I never really considered myself an artist. Like I was very, and I was once again, like continuing like dead set of like, I'm gonna be a writer, I'm gonna get into politics. And then by the time I was 18 and near graduation, politics weren't great at the time. And I kind of understood my own temperament and was like, if I write about this, I think if I write, like, I think I'm gonna be really unhappy. And I've actually been doing, little would I know that, at 30, like looking at the state of politics now, like, holy cow, <laughs> did I make the right decision not to write about politics? Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, for as rough as the game industry is, I, I think I'm still a whole lot better off. Um, but I, you know, around 18, I decided I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to art school and I'm going to make video games because I grew up playing playing games and like I played SNES, I played NES, but really like it was the PlayStation that was formative for me. Yeah. There is that's my favorite console of all time and i think like for me personally like there was a maturity to that storytelling at the time um and an advancement that that really really drew me in and i also like i was as i was teaching myself 3d i was doing a lot more like sci-fi art and so like if you don't mind like i i'd like to go into like some of my background and inspirations if oh you guys, absolutely like, mind that transition okay so like, both my dad and my brother since i was very young like introduced me to like a lot of sci-fi books so i was raised on classics i was raised on heinlein um and asimov and so on and so forth and so i remember like i remember reading starship troopers when i was very young like that's like everybody knows starship troopers like that was the book i read but also like i was shown like <laughs> like arguably way too young like i saw alien <laughs> which was yeah. like, I think very much appears in my work, but like all of the copies of these books, like my brother and my dad didn't really buy new books. They always bought used books. And so all of them had these amazing, like, like sixties uh, and seventies, like sci-fi covers. Um, yeah. You know, obviously like, the, the John Harris stuff to like stuff that's a lot more like psychedelic and things like that. Um, and so I was influenced by that, but also my dad is a, uh, is a Vietnam vet. So he did like two tours in Vietnam. And then after that, he wow. kind of worked as, like a, a, a mercenary flying around in different countries. And within his blog book, he was also sketching. Like he was an artist on the side. And so he was in like, amazing, in like Turkey or wherever. And he would be sketching or drawing things in Vietnam and drawing things. And like, I, and when he came back from Vietnam, he also like sold, he did like these like very like kind of psychedelic paintings that he sold door to door. And I, I really, I'll be honest, it, was, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I came to really understand that those things influenced me yeah i think i think that's something worth touching on later is like how we get inspired um but really so like yeah. i so that's why i like i made a lot of sci-fi art and so i decided to i took a year off after high school i went to i went to the art institute of portland i went to an art institute which would have been a great mistake had the faculty not been good and i had not <laughs> met some amazing people like uh, if anybody else went to an art institute they understand the debt in life I did. that yeah <laughs> i am very very sorry but like here's the thing though is like the students and the teachers were fantastic so everything so was, before and after that was like not so, so was, much that was the case for me it's like the, the, the school the like the artist portland essentially like 
shut down not too long after we left. And so we got the last, we were like with the last like really good, like big batches. And also like yeah. Alex Draycott and I went to school and like that dude is like a brother to me. He's an incredible guy. Patrick Wren, um, like Jacob oh, Stone yeah. and like a few mm -hmm. others, like people who are like, I'm more than classmates. Like those people have been really close and very, very pivotal in my life. And so I was very lucky to go to school with like really, really incredible people. But even then, like it's super crazy because even like two years into art school, I did not really consider myself an artist. I was like, I'm just a straight lace. I was like, I've decided early on, I'm gonna just be a hard surface guy. Yep. And uh, somebody is going to walk over and hand me the concept and I'm going to make that thing. And that will be my job. Like, that's what I'm gonna do. And so I, as time progressed, I, I enjoyed the classwork, whatever, but like I needed to do personal art. Like it was that early on, I realized like, I needed to do personal art to be okay. I was struggling with depression, but didn't know that I had depression at the time. So I was making a lot of yeah. personal art and I started becoming, uh, I, I'd say like a bit more artsy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know like quite what that means, but I feel like that's the best way to describe it is like, I embraced myself as an artist a little bit more. Yeah. And so I did that, I freelanced a bit for like Nike, because Nike was in the area. By the time I graduated, it's like a few months before I graduated, I got, because I'd done a freelance job at Nike, I was offered a job at Adidas as basically like a 3D concept designer. And there was only like two other 3D guys there. And I, that's where I was for like two years. And so I, it was funny because they hired me and they're like, do you play sports? Do you do anything else? Like, nah, like, nah, man, I don't. Like, um, this is actually a quick tangent, but if you want to know like a really funny, like fresh out of school interview story, I, it was in the middle of summer when I had to go in for that interview. And I assumed that for an interview, you had to wear a full suit. And so I wore a full suit and had to walk to, <laughs> I had to walk to the, yeah, please, yeah, I'll just hang in there. So I had to walk to this tram in Portland, Oregon, and it was like, I don't know, man. It was like 85, 90 degrees. And I'm in this like charcoal gray suit. Like I look like somebody out of, out of like Mad Men, but just a lot skinnier, a lot more gaunt and clearly like, hey, you're an art student, so you're pretty broke. And so <laughs> like, I am like just sweating. I'm sweating so bad. And like on the way, I drop by one store and grab water to try to stay hydrated. <laughs> At the next store, I grabbed deodorant because I realized I'm smelling worse and worse. So I'm a man in a suit. I'm a boy. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this skinny boy artist with a bottle of water in one hand and deodorant in the other. And then I get off this tram and then I have to walk like four or five blocks to the Adidas campus. And around the corner from the parking lot, I'm literally taking off my jacket and my shirt and like putting on deodorant and trying to like clean myself up so I could be presentable. And I sit in the lobby of like the Adidas headquarters and they call me in and there's three guys on the other side of me and every single one is wearing t-shirt and jeans. And, if, and I look at all three of them and I say, well, I see I've overdressed for this. <laughs> and luckily they were extremely good natured and extremely patient. He was a very awkward kid. Like arguably like I still am a bit. Like uh, you know, I, I was I was homeschooled from like first grade all the way through high school. Art school art school kind of blew my mind a little bit and sure, changed yeah. my life. And then going in for like a job interview like that, I was like, 
really like really scary but you know i was very lucky i got the opportunity to work there like i knew nothing about it but that would turn out to be like a very critical point in my career because it went from me just being an artist to this is going to sound very judgmental to me but when i like i went to school with product designers as well and like I thought it was ridiculous that product designers were spending time just agonizing over millimeters of a curve on the side of a product changing. And I was like, why on earth would you waste your time doing that? And working at that job, like working at Adidas for two years, like it was awesome because I got to travel to Germany. Like I got to teach, I got to help build like a 3D pipeline. I got to help pave the way for 3D concepting within their studio. But I really gained so much out of it because I learned how much work those guys have to put in and what it means to sell a product and how to design something and what good design looks like and honestly what bad design looks like and i i really like i didn't come to terms with that until later on a lot of my career has been having retrospectives on things that i've learned but not really understanding in the moment why something is important so after that so after two years of that like i decided to go like i really want to get in the game like i was just like i can't do product design anymore like really I'm, I, deep down I'm unhappy I know this is what I want to do like I want to build worlds yeah. um, and this isn't and I grew up like with sci-fi and like I just want to make games like I want to make the things that people can interact with and so that's I went over to a small studio called Camouflage um, which I believe still exists that was located in Seattle so it was a very strange thing because I went from being I went from being paid very well at an Adidas campus where we had our own like cafeteria and such to then going to an indie studio, which like, it's a very odd thing because Camouflage, I think must have changed by now, but at the time they were in like a semi-abandoned bank in Bellevue, Washington. That's pretty cool. And so it's a very odd thing because Bellevue is like very well-to-do and like very rich. And you're constantly seeing like Ferraris and whatnot going by. And it's, we just worked in this crappy building that you couldn't open the windows. Like the windows were sealed shut. And so during the summer, you would just go in the bathroom and throw some water on yourself and then sit back, sit back down and keep working. Um, and we were working on a, on a mobile game called Republic, which was like, yeah. um, which was a Kickstarter that was like not pretty kind of fresh off the heels off of Double Fine's Kickstarter. So it was like still like, early on um, in that time. And, you know, it's it's really funny, like, to go from to really being a place where you're really pampered to suddenly being, being in a place where it's like, I hope that, like, we don't plug too many. If we plug in a fan, we will lose, we'll yeah, blow. break the breaker. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, we'll have to get an electrician in again to fix this. And, like, but it was still, like, it was, like, 20 of us, 15 or 20 of us in a room, and it was, like, family. Like, it was... It was, uh, it, for a while, it was an incredible experience, but it was very odd. So we were also like across the street from Valve. So like those guys were doing like whatever Valve does and looking out the window and they might <laughs> see us on the rooftop of this building that looked abandoned. And we were just like, <laughs> we'd be just like drinking at 7 p.m. It was like, <laughs> they so just... like, yeah, so they're just looking down at us as like we're throwing beer cans at each other on top of the studio <laughs> working on this mobile game. like. And so like I stayed there for, I stayed there for um, about a year and then it was very, it, it was extremely fortuitous because like Alex Draycott, who like I said, I went to school with, was working at Soccer Punch at the time. LucasArts had just closed down. So Jacob, or, uh, Patrick Wren moved up to work at 343 and then he got uh, Jacob Stone like a gig over at 343 and then they got, and it's got me a gig. Like you talk about like, 
it's people that awesome. you know who get your jobs. Like yeah. that's yep. that's it. Absolutely. Like people, it's all about who you know, and like they helped me get my foot in the door. And like so, I was also an environment artist at three four three, and I worked two years on Halo Five. Uh, there's some like really really incredible people there. There's like you know I, I we've talked we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Like yeah. we can we'll we'll either touch on this in this episode or maybe we'll do something some other time. But like there was also like a I'm very open about my mental. There was also kind of like, I, not to sound like melodramatic about it, but like the dragon of depression was yeah. like surrounding a lot of these experiences um, as I was going, but I didn't quite know like what I was struggling with. So like, I would keep that for later, but like this is strictly just kind of like my work experience. Um, Definitely. But yes, yeah, so I spent two years like working um, on Halo 5 and that was amazing because like, you know, occasionally I get to interact with Sparth and that dude is obviously incredibly talented, but also extremely humble. And, you know, and I got to work with friends. I got to work with some of my best friends. So I did that. And then by the end of it, I knew that I needed to do something different. Like I really needed to take a risk. And I felt that that thing was moving overseas. And so I knew that Creative Assembly was working on a Halo game, which was like Halo Wars 2. Um, and my contract was ending at 343. Microsoft had introduced a new contract policy. So essentially, like, we couldn't get renewed. Like none of our contractor, none of the contractors could get renewed. Like it was a hard cutoff. So we knew that the moment the project shipped, like we were all going to get laid off. So I had like, you know, X amount of time to go and find something. So I said, well, you know, I'm going to go move to England. And so I like, I, I flew out there. I got the gig. I stayed there for a year. It was like a pretty short turnaround for that game. And that was when I really like, England is where things got weird. That's <laughs> uh, because like, I like very much changed in the sense that like, I was working on more Halo art. I was taking on a little bit more of an art direction role there in the sense that like, they were struggling a little bit with their forerunner art direction. And so I started helping bring what I knew about that from working on Halo 5 yeah. to what they were doing. And so I was half environment artist and like half like leading and critiquing, giving feedback on art direction. But I was also having this realization of like, like I'm just not like a great environment artist. Like on a technical level, I always knew that I wasn't great at it. And the thing is, if you're an environment artist, you have to have a good amount of art skills and technical skills as well. And I've never really been a technical guy. And so it was, it was understanding my weakness. And it was a question of, am I going to fix this? Or do I need to start changing my career path? And what that job taught me, and I'll get into like my side projects at the time taught me is like, yeah. I was like, I don't like technical constraints as much as I like conceptual work. That awesome. And that's when I had like that major change. And so I was doing all of these side projects. Part of it was because I was working another Halo game and it's not to say that that's boring, like it was amazing, an amazing experience, but I find personally that I really, on my personal side, if I want to stay in love with my art, and it's very important to me that I, that I keep, I say like falling in love with the process is I need to be making new and different things and challenging myself. Like I can't stay bored. And so I started like trying a lot of different art styles. I started experimenting and then that's, as kind of a byproduct of that, I learned how to make art quickly. And that's between that and then starting to help out with like art direction a little bit at Creative Assembly. It was like, okay, this is the path for me. Like this is what I'm about is quick iteration and also realizing like games, it's kind of weird because games don't have a lot of three concept artists. I know Bungie has a few, like it's changing, but movies have a ton. So there's like not a lot of people like me. Um, and so it's a little weird sometimes talking with, saying like, I'm a concept artist. So I said, but you work in 3D and like, 
some people are like less accepting of that than other people. But like, yeah. I, I firmly believe like at the end of the day, concept art is concept art. It doesn't matter. Like, can you get it done fast? And like, can you deliver it? Like, right. are you fine? Yeah. And so my, what I realized is that like, I loved the process of finding shortcuts and ways to make art faster and to be able to produce art better, whether that was like modeling tools or rendering tools um, or things like that. And so as a result of that experience, I'm like really like that year at Creative Assembly was a career highlight because of my personal art, because I was making new things every week. I was making weird self-shaded stuff. I was making weird abstract stuff. Like I was trying a lot of different things and I was finding myself in it. And so as a result of that, that was when, um, so a year and a half ago, it would have been, I mean, it would have been basically two years ago. I got, was in contact with an art director at Ubisoft Montreal and they're like, Hey, we're working on this thing. And we really like your work. Would you like to kind of come in here and like help us do concept art? And so that was it. Um, and also I had met Liz, my partner, she was ready to move on to something else. And so we said like, let's do this, like, let's do this move together. And so we both moved here to, um, like she and I had met at Creative Assembly um, and then both moved over here. And so I spent the last year and a half, like as a, like a senior concept artist. At, like, I think I'm only like one or two, three concept artists at Ubisoft Montreal. Like there's not a lot of us. Part of my like internal goal is to like kind of change that a little bit is to educate people and say, hey, here's tools like, like Octane and things like that. Here are ways where you can combine like, there's a lot of people out there who are pushing for a combination of 3D and 2D to do concept art. And so part of my job has been, it's been like really like high level concept and concept work and design, but also teaching like 2D concept artists, like 3D tools and saying, hey, like here's a way to cut some corners to work a little bit faster. Here's some things you might want to use. Like if you don't want to use it, that's totally fine, but this might be useful. Um, and so, yeah. And then obviously I've continued to make like a lot of personal art. That was a very long monologue. I apologize. <laughs> No, no man, that's fine. great stuff. I, uh, fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I Every time I was going to ask you a question, you just went straight to the answer. <laughs> no, no, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I apologize. I don't mean to like dumb not no. conversation. I warned you guys ahead of time. It's going to be like a little bit verbose. Like I'm not super good at short answers. So I, it's, uh, it's completely fine. I mean, the whole time you're talking, it's just, it's just wowed by all the awesome experiences that you had from being able to work at Adidas as, as a product designer and seeing that within your work early on when uh, working on Republic and 343, it just was really cool to kind of see that. Like, I remember reading that on your blurb of your profile. I was like, man, I, I can kind of see that experience kind of coming through in some of his art. So it's really I interesting mean, now, like in, in retrospect, that you're kind of like, man, this all this stuff has helped me kind of get to this point. And it's yeah, really I, wild, too, that you've got into this concepting space just really exploring your own limitations and figuring out what your strong suits were and what your what your weaknesses were within your career and within your art. It's just pretty awesome to see like you thank, find your way so thank you so much like i i mean the, the, i mean i straight up like i anybody who anybody who says that their career didn't involve a lot of luck is is lying is lying or might be full of themselves um i got i got extremely lucky and i had a lot of people help me out um yeah. and um and i certainly won't lie it helped that i make a lot of personal work but i Hell never yeah. made I never made that personal work to climb ahead. I'm not a very competitive person. Um, yeah. I, I don't spend a lot of time worried about how prolific other people are or what people are making. To be frank, like if you look at my art station, like the art that I make is, um, is for me. And I, and I hope that doesn't sound, I hope that doesn't sound like a selfish notion. I just, 
I found yeah. that art was obviously like an outlet for me, but it was just, it, I, I think you, when you're an artist, you, one of the things that you learn to accept is the fact that the reason why you're an artist is because you have to make things. You yeah. have an innate desire, and it's more of the desire it's to make things because otherwise, why on earth would you be an artist? It doesn't pay that well. It can be really, really tough work. Like you could do anything else and it would probably be, not anything else, but there's things that are easier out there that you can make more money on. But I think if you're an artist, like you just, you have to make things. And I found that that was a bit of an insatiable desire. And it was a personal thing of just like, I, I want to try things. Like there's a curiosity here, but it, it's interesting. Like I, I'm always fascinated to hear from somebody outside of like myself say, oh, I can look at your career path and see that progression because I think one thing that happens as artists, I, I, I think you have to have, you don't have to have it, but it's important to spend some time being very introspective about your career. Oh, yeah. but not only that about like, I'll be frank, like about like your childhood. Yep. Um, I, um, I think because it really like I, I, I said this I said this in another podcast recently but like there's a very fascinating thing that happens is like um, like uh, you know I struggle with depression and anxiety and I'm going to a therapist and one of the things that comes up in therapy I've, I've been through therapy multiple times one of the things that comes up in therapy is essentially therapy is you like trying to undo the bad things that happened to you as a kid yeah, yeah. because as a kid you couldn't understand what was happening and you didn't have the knowledge uh, or the context to be able to process what was right and wrong. And so as an adult, you're struggling with these things from, from your childhood. But as an artist, the thing that you're dying to do the most is to try to get back to your childhood self because you had such unbridled creativity and yeah. you weren't hampered by all these laws. So it's a very fascinating dynamic as an adult. Yep. Being an artist is trying to undo the damage done to you as a kid, like either purposefully or by accident or so on. Um, but also still try to get in touch with that creative self that like you realize like yeah there are rules but all of them are meant to be broke you yeah. can make crazy things like you can take risks um, and you should it's it's an important thing and so for me I think over the last few years one of the reasons why I've taken more risk with my art and I experiment a lot more is retroactively I started I, I started taking a hard look at myself and my experiences and saying like like what are my artistic instincts you build up this gut feeling and like I feel very I believe very firmly in the gut instinct of an artist your gut will tell you what is what looks right and what is wrong like you know deep down it's a more of a matter of cultivating that taste cultivating what you like and dislike yeah. to be able to yeah. to vocalize that and also to be able to make art like your gut is I is completely vital like you can't be an amazing artist without having developing a gut feeling and being learning to trust it um, and so for me, like going back to what I said earlier, like a lot of it was realizing, okay, I'm very influenced by a lot of 60s and 70s sci-fi. I also have a dichotomy between like, there is clean design that I learned at Adidas, but also like, I love me some Greeble. Yeah. And like, I have made some busy looking shit. I will be the first <laughs> to admit that some of my designs are very busy looking, but sometimes that's what I want to make. Um, yeah. Right. Color. Yeah. Colors and patterns came from Adidas because um, they were doing a lot of wild patterns and colors on shoes and I had free reign to experiment and that gave me a, a huge amount of comfort level with colors. Like I don't think people play with color enough and people don't make like bright enough futures and like I'm very into like 
bright and colorful futures. Yeah, like I think in then, you know, like my dad, my, my dad's experience in Vietnam and like PTSD, like post-traumatic stress disorder, like how that affected my family has affected like a specific like subset of my art. And like, I think recently that has pushed me to like doing a bit more like surrealism. And I, I, I don't want to say horror, like even though some of it, some people would interpret it as, but like very kind of dark surrealism and things like that. Um, right. Like a lot of those things really kind of came together. And then, you know, I learned a lot, like there are specific design rules that like repeat in my head every day when I work. And then sometimes I break them and make super greedily. And I'm like, this is not a 70-30 rule. This is just techie panels everywhere. And I... <laughs> but it's but, cool to get it. It's cool to get yeah. into that stuff though, because you really kind of like need to know where the line is, tell it, then break it to kind of do something new and, and, and well, explore for yourself and explore absolutely. for like, try to break that aesthetic that you kind of settle into. Because being, being an environment artist and being a game artist, like you're on games for a very long time for at least a couple years. And I find that kind of like coming into my personal work a lot. And, and, and that's why I kind of break away and try to do different things because you're just so kind of used to following those rule sets. So what you said right there is an extremely, extremely key thing because yeah. I, I'm going to throw, I don't mean to throw some shade, but there is like, this is a conversation that not only like I've had internally with myself, but is happening a lot more in this industry is, yeah. is like the front page of ArtStation. Yes, um, yes. You right. know, or, or, or even before that, you know, CG Hub or whatever, like, yep. you know, I make... I've made the joke, I don't mean to piss people off, but like I, I made it that it used to be like when I was in school, like everybody made crates. Like everybody made a crate or everybody made like out like a like rusty gasoline <laughs> barrel. And yeah. everybody had that in their portfolio. <laughs> then eventually everybody had an A forty seven. Yep. And then everybody had like a sci fi hallway. Um, and now now yeah. it seems like it's actually now it seems like subway stations are kind of the thing, yeah. but like, I'll be honest, like, I actually like, like, there are trends, there are trends in everything, but the biggest problems that the game industry has on the artistic side is that they, they focus too much on making game art and not on making art. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I hope that that distinction makes sense. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. it, it, you look at how game art is, you see people's portfolios, it's cannibalizing other games. Like, yeah. not seeing a lot of other, you know, it's like whatever games that generation of artists that are coming into the industry or are in the industry, they take, like, inspiration from. In a lot of cases, it's like whatever the hot thing is from the last couple of years, right? Yeah. Or, hey, I'm going to go look at some stuff that, you know, maybe five years ago, ten years ago, because that's real retro, right? It's like, no, man, like, look at stuff further back. There's a yeah. longer history of art that's involved in there. Processes, ideas that are out there that are untapped in terms of the type of art that we tend to usually do in 3D in game engines is like, no, go out there and go make that, like go find inspiration from stuff that A, you really enjoy, but also like you really feel like, oh, this is speaking to me. Like I'm not just redoing the same stuff, you know? I mean, That's it's granted, there's, yeah. like, there's plenty of people out there that love a particular look to a game and that is their thing. All power to them, man. That's awesome. That's great. Like for me, it was very much just like, this feels really redundant. And there's other cool shit out there that I'm seeing in other media. And what's the influence of that stuff? And yeah. then you start looking back at the history of like, oh, I really like this movie this guy made in the 80s. Then you look at the history of that and go, oh, he was inspired by this film in the 40s. What were they inspired by in the 40s? You go back further and further and you're like, oh, this whole chain of just ideas kind of Ryan, follows. All Ryan, of it, right? Just, yeah. Ryan, just say David Lynch. 
I know you just wanted to say that. Dude, I see what you're thinking, Lynch. I'm just throwing the 80s out. I'm like, what? Well, well, I mean, look, hey, man, Blue Velvet's all right, all right? <laughs> Yeah, I am. Um, all right. No, I think no. I absolutely, I absolutely think you're right because like I. And here's the thing: is when I when I say like when I make like the AK-47 joke, like the sci-fi hallway joke, like I. Here's the thing: if you, that's what you want to make, like that's awesome. But my concern is that there are a lot of people that make things, and it's especially because of students, uh, students who have a lack yeah. of confidence. Um, and have not built up that taste yet, who feel like they have to make certain things to get into a studio and to work in a certain place. And yep. like, what I'm about to say is like, I, for, for students or people who are trying to break in who are listening or just folks who are early on in their career, like know that like, for one, there's not a whole lot of like straight rules to get into the industry. Like there's some, but everybody kind of has their own way. There's some consistency, but like my personal belief is even if you're not amazing, the thing is, like, you could become amazing. Like, you can get trained on a job and get better. What I want to see when I review portfolios is I want to see an indication of what it is that you love and care about. Yep. Like, embrace your influences. And if that is, yep. like, old games, then, like, fine. If you have looked at old architecture, if you've looked at brutalist stuff, if you have looked at Renaissance paintings, if you've looked at modernist stuff, like, whatever, and found ways to integrate that into your work and to really express yourself, like, I want to see who you are in the art that you're presenting to me. Because for me, anybody can l learn the tools and can get better at making art through practice. But yeah. what I want and what is unique is I want to be able to have an artist on board who has something new that they can bring to the table. I want, when we are problem solving, for somebody to be able to offer something that, that none of us have thought of. And that comes from exploring those other, like, like those other inspirations. And it comes from like, I, I do like, I do a lot of reading. Um, I watch a lot of film. Um, and I look at a lot of different art. And so for me, like, there is just such a huge amount of inspiration and wonderful things that men and women have made that it would be such a tragedy not to look at those things and be inspired by them because you think that you have to make art that looks a certain way to get into a game studio. Yeah. And that's why for me, like, I'm kind of against, like, this is very much, a, once again, a very much a personal opinion, but I'm very much against tailoring your work to a specific studio. Yep. Like, I really just, I want to see, I want to see something unique. Um, because if you're trying different styles, or you're trying different things, like, I trust that you'll be able to pick up the art style of whatever project we're working on. Um, but I also, like, more than anything, I just want to be able to trust that you can be, like, I'll be frank, like an artsy artist. And there's not, I don't think there are enough artists in the industry who are artsy artists. Um, yeah. I, does that phrase make sense? Like, no, I don't yeah. no, say no, that. Dude, like, like, I, I think... Dude, you're preaching to the choir here, all right? Yeah. Like, very much that idea of, like, we should be thinking about that stuff. And yeah. how art, art is being used yeah. beyond yeah. just, like, oh, you're walking through this space, right? Like, looking at other mediums outside of film is one of those things that sometimes, like, it's like, I speak to my students about this all the time. It's like, film is an aspect you should totally pull from, but it's not the only one. Right. No, and, like, and, yeah. and, the, and the game industry has suffered for a very long time of chasing after the yeah. industry. Like it is, one of, it is one of the biggest pitfalls is the game industry has always felt insecure next to film and has always been, has always compared itself to film and gets compared to film. And yeah. so as a result, 
I think there's a lot of a lot of I think poor decisions that are now standard within games have been made along the way. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I think like just to add in on that, it's just some of my favorite experiences, memories from stuff in the PS1 era and games that have really made an impact on me. Never really was it part of a cinematic moment in the game. I yeah. mean, like it, it always it, that's a that's the bummer to me is that. You, you see a lot of cinematics in games and a lot of like these cutscenes and they're fantastic and I, I and people spend a long time and they look beautiful and everything but the the interactivity of games in general and and the worlds that we build is just something completely different. You really don't get to walk through a, a movie set, you know, like they yeah. they're they're doing a lot there, but there's always this kind of like saran wrap or facade after watching a, a movie a couple times, your favorite movie, you, you start seeing different things. You start thinking about how it was produced. Going back to an older game, I'm just I'm going back through Dark Souls the Remastered right now, and it's just like it still has this wonder to me. It has like almost no cutscenes, and it just has this this mood that I have not been able to really reproduce or or find somewhere else. That kind there's of takes you. There, yeah, there, there's an atmosphere. There's an atmosphere and a mystery. Yep. to those games that is like pretty astonishing and it's yeah. crazy because like i am like you know on the ps1 like metal gear solid was like a pivotal game oh yeah, yeah. yep very, very mm-hmm. big thing. but here. like at the same time like there are better ways games have delivered narrative in very specific ways because of film and because yeah. of the yeah. comparison to film yeah and um i think are only just now exploring how to embrace um narrative delivery that embraces the medium as yep, opposed yeah. to is kind of chasing the dragon a bit. Um, yeah. But I yeah, think, sure. like, to, to, to bring it back to art, like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't look at ArtStation that much. Um, yeah. I, post my work, I post my work there because that's what you post. And that is no offense towards all the amazing art that's posted on there because there is some amazing stuff. And I, and I do, like, occasionally take a look. But for me, I do have a little bit there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of desire to preserve my need to look at other things that inspire me and right. not just what's being posted on no, there because I completely agree. I think what happens is if you just there's I think it's very easy when you're in that space to constantly look at other people's art on art station and for it to get very cyclical. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. You, you you enter the vortex of no, you know no, there's, a, there's a specific cadence to game portfolio art and there's a lot of stuff that is just I could spend the next ten years attempting to create something akin to some of the artists that are on there and never really make it yeah. to make a, a piece that is a dynamic of some of the pieces on that website. But I, I have to agree. I, I know a lot of artists that do go home and, and scour the internet for more game art. And I really, I've attempted to, in my personal life and outside of work, really kind of limit that to be able to get back to that like that childhood imagination and, and yeah. getting back into things from my childhood and doing other things. I have a couple of buddies at work that are cracking up because at the end of the day, when people are kind of riding away, I'm riding my skateboard outside and learning how to how to skateboard again i'm doing all these things again because i just i gotta kind of like push in different directions and that's the way that i kind of raise that ceiling to to become a better artist like i've, I've now finally yep. understood that and, and and i'm trying to take advantage of it so i'm completely that's, understand like, i think for like all three of us we probably got to that point too you know, I know for Justin, I don't know about you, Ben, but like, no, absolutely. Uh, of, of like, cool, we hit our quality bar we want. Yeah. Now, what else can I do? 
I've made a pillar, I've made a chair, I've made bedrooms before, what else is there, right? Yep. And so it's like, then being like, well, what can I pull from? And you start looking at a lot of stuff in games and just like, man, like, all right, it's not, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff that's there. And there's definitely been way more interesting stuff over the, I would say the last 10 years. Yeah. More than a lot of other eras. Yeah. But like, it's still not quite the same, right? I can go look at something else in another medium and still find a lot of inspiration from there. That's like, oh man, okay, what would be the equivalency of this for a game? And not necessarily saying, I'm going to take this thing and put it into games, but like, how do I get to that emotion that I feel about this thing? Like, and, what is and, that, right? So I think there's multiple things to touch on here. I, I think one of them is, so it is, it's finding those inspirations and then understanding how to mix them together. Like you see those yeah. things as ingredients, as yeah. like, I like something that, I like something that's cubist, um, but I am also like, I'm also into this weird, like Begzinski, like surreal stuff or like so on and so forth. It's, it's being willing to play with it. It's one of the things that's happened for me is like, and it's something I still come to terms with because like for better, for worse, like I still like, I, you know, I would love to say that I don't care completely about the attention, but I, I, I do. When you don't get X amount of likes or something, you kind of feel there's like a little sense of failure, even though like that's a complete lie. But one thing I have yeah. kind of come to terms with is that people get way too precious about their art. The reason why I turn out a couple pieces a week is like, A, I figured out a broad set of pipelines. Like, I don't have one pipeline. I have different pipelines for each kind of look that I'm going for. And that's yeah. part of the excitement is figuring out this is how I'm going to work to get excellent. Like, and if you're curious about that, we can go to that later. You guys want to get kind of the technical aspect of that. But um, yeah. the reason why I don't, I'm not precious about my art anymore is because to be crass, like, who gives a shit? You're an artist, you can make another piece. Yep. You can make something else. You, no one piece of art should ever fully define you. Make something, admit to yourself, hey, this was cool, and then move on to something else. And like, look, I, I can look at my art station and say, there is some weird stuff on there that I totally get why a lot of people looked at it and said, what, why would you do that? Like, this is weird, that's fine, because I learned a lesson from that that then I could apply to something else. And it's also like the joy of experimentation. I think once again, it keeps you sane during long productions when you're doing, when you are like stuck with like a certain style, which like there's no problem with that, but like you have to do things to keep it exciting. Like art is a thing that is really tough. And so finding the ways that you need to keep falling in love with it is really big. So the, uh, the other aspect of that I think is like, Justin, like you talk about picking up skateboarding. And for me, it's like, yep. when I was a kid, like I, my parents let me use their camera. And then I didn't really touch a camera for a really long time. I did some photography in college. And then um, my partner, Liz, Liz Edwards, by the way, she's also on Twitter and is an awesome artist and a wonderful person. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm biased because I'm also in love with her. So, <laughs> uh, but she's also like objectively amazing. Um, but anyway, she got me a camera for Christmas and I have rediscovered like my love of photography awesome. and realized like one of the mistakes that, that happens within games is you're told make more art make more art like focus just on video games and making art and things like that and it's like that's one of the factors that is played into a lot of things looking the same it's a mix of self-care and doing other things that aren't video games to help change what you are making at work or the kind of art that you're making because there are people who there are video games that are made by people who do nothing but play video games and you can tell that those it's a video game as a video game Versus people who, like, I think the industry desperately needs people from outside of games who don't have experience with games 
to come in and give those fresh voices to oh, yeah. kind of steer games in different directions. And I think that's starting to happen, but like that diversity is extremely important. When you talk about your skateboarding, when I talk about my, my photography, like what we're talking about is something that we need to do for our artistic selves, but we also need to do for our personal selves to stay like mentally healthy is to do something that isn't just our career. Yes. Like, we need to be yes. able to do something else because we need, like you have to have that personal outlet and something that's liberating. And for me, photography is great because whatever, I can take a billion pictures and maybe like four of them are good. It doesn't matter. Cause like you, you click a button for God's sake. If not, it's not that big of a deal. That was one of the things too I love about photography. And honestly too, I've gotten into the, the last iPhone that I got, I think I have a 6S. But when it first came out, it's it just like that. pictures of your dog, man. It's yeah. just pictures of your dog. That does not count. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, started, I started actually. That's uh, the realist <laughs> art, okay? <laughs> I started actually taking. I started actually taking videos of just like random stuff. I've always have been kind of like a practical joker with my friends and, and do goofy things and can get really far out there. And it was funny after I met my wife, like she kind of was like, oh, you got to watch like David Lynch films and everything and realizing that there was like. Are you, oh, she's the one who we need to Wait a second. Are you married to Ryan? Uh, everyone, no. This has been a family setup. This no. is this is this is the couple's environment. Our podcast. <laughs> yeah. But no, but the reality of it was, if she was like, you know, it's cool to kind of do weird stuff. She was like, I, I was starting to find of a, a lore in that, and I was just thought it was strange. So I started like setting up my phone and just doing funny, goofy videos, and then started to cut them, deal with the audio and all that stuff. And I'll send them out to I think I have like a group of like six friends that see these videos, and every once in a while, Ryan will get like the. <laughs> Uh, a random one kind of sent his way and the, the, the thing the thing is it's just like that type of thing has also really really helped me not only work on composition for my art on a really really like low risk scenario but it really has allowed me to get a lot more work done at home a lot of more personal work and, and become more efficient with my artwork just because like you were saying before you're just not slaving over a piece it, it doesn't doesn't control you you're not worrying about it being your next opus you know and it's, yeah. and it's also like, yeah. it's a fundamental thing. It's a fundamental misunderstanding that happens is that people don't understand. We talk about crunch culture, like this kind of feeds into all of that. But like, yeah. if you don't take the time off to do other things, you actively get slower at what you do. Oh, absolutely. Like <laughs> you, I have seen artists burn themselves out. I did great in college, but I also killed myself. I was really, really in a deep depression at the time. And once again, like I didn't know that I was depressed, but like I... Yeah. I was not like taking care of myself physically and I was not taking care of myself mentally and I just focused on the work. I was lucky that I did good work and work that I'm proud of at Adidas, but in my side side time, I was burnt out for like a year, couldn't touch anything. And like, you need to step away and do other things and take those breaks because you are so much faster when you come back and sit and do something. Like, yeah. You have to recognize that you will find yourself staring at the screen and occasionally you move a vertex and occasionally you experience something. Yeah. And you just and then you're like rotating your model over and over again. It's like, what are you doing? Yep. Like like you you have other things that you could be doing with this precious time and doing something like you could be reading a book, you could be spending time with a loved one, you could be taking care of yourself and like some days you're on the ball, you might have a few days where you're dead slow at work and that's fine. Like it happens to all of us. Like yep. you're not Johnny on the spot every single day. Um, and it's one of the things is like, I, I've recognized like I, 
I, once again, I, I don't mean this to sound egotistical, but as somebody who has like a decent following on Twitter, for reasons I haven't quite comprehended yet, I think it's important to dispel the fact that when I was coming to this industry, I looked up to a lot of artists as well. And the thing is, I saw them as people who didn't seem to have any like personal struggles. They just constantly made art and they were rock stars. And what I later learned was that was never actually the fact. A lot of those people struggled in different ways. And I think it's important to be transparent about the need to take time off away from working, to practicing self-care, to avoiding crunch culture and things like that. Because yep. that is the road to being a successful artist. Because you're going to be doing this long term and you also have a life to live and the art isn't everything. I love my art. Like, I love making art. But I know, like not to get grim, but I know that like when I die, like that art is not going to be the thing that matters. It yeah. will be like the relationships I had and conversations that I had with people and like those interactions. And that's like, that's my value system. Everybody needs to have their own value system, but like you need to like really take a look at yours because I think there is still this immense amount of pressure to just eat, sleep and breathe working on games and give up everything else. I think that destroys people's lives. And I think it's also like, a totally unproductive way of working that's extremely self-destructive. In all honesty, too, I've seen that change. I mean, when I first started in the industry, the conversations that I had, and, and it wasn't just me being a younger person. You heard older senior people talking the same way, at least once I was around, where, oh, that guy right there, he's the one that did so-and-so piece, or he worked on that game. And then recently, in a contemporary space, you don't really hear that anymore. Just being at GDC this year, it was like, man, you know, this is just a great artist. You know, like you're not identifying an artist with a specific piece anymore. It's like a work ethic and a health and, and an attitude that is um, gung-ho to, to working and, and, and creating with others. It, it just becomes this much more healthy environment. And you're seeing this just around the industry in entirety, honestly, just the way that, that uh, teams are, are being composed but also there's more of a public discourse about the conflicts and the pipelines within game development, which were very shuttered off years ago. So yeah. I think all of that no. stuff has been very healthy for not only the industry, but for the artists that want to be in it. So Yeah, I mean, it's definitely gotten better, but there's still a lot of places that are still doing, hey, we need you to crunch seven days a week. Absolutely. And it's interesting, to say, it's interesting because I'm seeing more people on Twitter being vocal about the fact that they're in the midst of crunch. Yep. Um, which is interesting because that used to be like the dirty little secret. And yeah. now I think, I mean, it, it was very interesting having worked in Europe and now working up here, like seeing a difference between the places that enforce crunch and the places that don't. On a team level and on a company level, if you want to be successful, you need to treat your employees like people and understand those needs because that's how you get the most out of them. That is how you build a team. And for me, like, you know, the dialogue has changed a little bit because there's much less room now. I, I mean, these obviously still exist, but there's less room for egos. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I'd, I couldn't give a shit how good your art is if you have a giant ego. Because if you have a giant ego, you're a person, whether you're, and I've run into students who've had giant egos, I've worked with seniors who've had giant egos. Like, yeah. Luckily, like that has been the minority in my career. Um, I've worked with them, mostly I've worked with amazing people, but yeah. like, that ego is the destroyer of teams. Mm -hmm. That is a singular thing that turns teams so toxic. And it's the reason why people can't stay is because of egos. And like, I really, I don't care how good somebody's work is. 
I cannot stand that. I would rather hire an artist who ha doesn't have an ego, but is going to learn than an amazing artist with an ego. Oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. need to know for me, who you are as a person is just as important because like, you know, game development is spending a lot of time with the same group of people. It's understanding your ch each other's quirks and understanding like how to communicate with each other, who you are as people. There's a family aspect to it that you have to, that I think you have to embrace. Yeah. And that if you don't and places don't, they'll just hire names or hire people and throw them together. I think it puts teams in a really dangerous position and being on a team that turns toxic and is not a good composition is the thing like that bur that burns people out. It burns yeah. people out, it makes it miserable. And I'll, and I'll be honest, and it shows up as this product. Oh, absolutely. Products that end up having that just extreme amount of crunch and just like a, a negative environment within them exactly. I, I think it becomes mechanic and this isn't just for games this is movies you know and tv shows and, and just any type of like entertainment media like you can just like feel it and then of course and like stories start coming out and we live in the age of you know a lot of conversations yeah the stories don't stay hidden anymore for me i i just i really don't have a whole lot of tolerance for people being treated poorly like that yeah. is something that deeply, deeply, like I, it, it bothers me, it, it makes me sad. And like the idea of people, like there's a misconception that you need to be in pain to make good art. And that is the biggest load of bullshit that has ever been said. Like yeah. you, you make great art when you, when you put together a group of people who are happy and can work together and can, can communicate and don't like abuse them. And like I, there are certain games because I know the development cycle of like I just don't play. It yeah. just bothers me too much because it's like you guys gave up. You guys were forced to give up too much for this, and like I don't, I, I don't think that that's acceptable. Yeah, no, it really isn't. So before we get a little ahead of ourselves with the health and game development, I know we want to touch on that a little bit later. Ben, I, my question for you is looking at all your art that you're posting on Twitter, you were talking about the different pipelines and strategies that you use when creating it. And I was wondering if you can get into some of these strategies that you use, because personally to me, seeing the cadence and just the amount of art that you're able to produce, it's just the dedication to that is, is really, really inspiring. And I would love to hear how, how you, know, you process it. So. I appreciate that a lot. I really, really do. This is not as much like a, a technical approach to making that art, but like the first thing I would say like in a very high level is like, if you're not having fun making personal art, yeah, then why are you making it? Yeah. Like, and it's not to say that you don't struggle with personal pieces. Like, we all struggle with personal pieces. That's fine. Yeah. But, like, you should be making stuff that you really want to make because yeah. one of the reasons, one of the fundamental reasons why I'm able to turn out a lot of art is because I'm genuinely having fun doing it. And I definitely have my struggles, but, like, some pieces don't make sense. And I have to take a couple of days off. But, like, you yeah. know, I average, I average, I try to average like one or two pieces a week. I, 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 I don't do, I try not to do any take more than three days because I get super bored. And also like, I just want to iterate quickly and I usually have another idea. Yeah, um, sure. Because I, for me personally, like I constantly need to challenge myself. So like, I'm, I know I'm gonna get bored after a few days with the piece. And so I want to be able to do something new. So I scope projects accordingly. I don't do long multi-month projects because I am working on like, a multi-year project at work. Like why would I, do something drawn out at home when I can experiment and have some fun. So that's that's like a really, really, really key part of it. What happens is 
you know, we talk about building routines and it's like really easy to break a routine, um, but it's hard to build a routine. And the, the thing about making art is, is if you make a little bit of art each day, photography or noodling or just every few days you're trying something, essentially like what I've come to do is train myself. So like when I come home from work, yeah, I have my routine and I know that when I sit down at like X time, my brain is trained to start thinking creatively. And awesome. something, a mistake that a lot of young artists make is they think they worry very much about motivation. They're like, well, I don't feel motivated to make art. Well, I don't really want to make art. And like, yeah. that sometimes happens. Sometimes you're burnt out. Sometimes you have not taken care of yourself and you're not in a place to make art. That is totally acceptable. But uh, something that happens a lot is like, motivation is very fleeting ideas and inspiration are very, very fleeting. What you have to do is by building a routine and making a lot of art, you find that cool ideas start coming to you because you're just making things regularly. Um, yeah. And it, you are training your brain to think critically and to think creatively and to say, oh, when I sit down and I start holding my mouse like this and I have my coffee, then I'm going to start making something. Even then, like then you have to push like past like the first like the first like 30, 45 minutes of the artist. Like it's a it's a miserable thing, but if you can push past that, then you have this breakthrough. And then some some nights it's easy, sometimes some nights it's hard. Some nights you're not gonna get anything done, some nights you're gonna get like a whole lot done. Like it's there is no consistent cadence. Yeah. It just happens. But it is still a matter of self-discipline. So that is like the really high level of why I can make so much art and what I think is the is like one of the key parts to it. What's so, your, um, sorry to- No, 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 go ahead. Like I was actually really curious because you kind of lightly talked about it. I was like pushing past that. Would you say there are particular like things that you look at or routines that you've developed to kind of help you push past that? It's really weird for me because it's actually, um, I put on movies that I've watched a billion times. <laughs> Do the same and thing. Know, and know by heart off to the side. And that is, insists instills a certain sense of like comfort and routine yeah. that helps me right. push past that um that's also the case with certain music albums like if i've listened i listen to music a little bit more now than i need to when i work i will also put on ambient nature sounds because that helps me focus a little bit more and that usually helps push me past things the other thing i will do this is a very fine line is what we call gathering reference and there is a difference between gathering and basically postponing doing actual work for as long as possible by surfing the <laughs> internet. It's a very like tricky road. If I'm stuck or I'm having trouble, I have to ask myself, what is the problem that I'm actively trying to solve? Um, so for me lately, it's actually been composition, like color I feel comfortable with. Shape I'm pretty good with, but I can do better and I need to do better. Um, but composition is easily my weakest thing. And so lately it's like, okay, let me look up films that I like. There's also a website that I found called moviescreencaps.com that mm. just has like entire, like it's basically entire movies with just screen caps. And so you can scroll through those and search through movies. Um, and that has helped me find some reference for like, okay, I like nobody copyrights, nobody copyrights composition. Like it's the same as <laughs> yeah. color. Like if you're struggling with color, color pick from images you like. It, I hope that answers your question. Those are kind of- some Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. It's curious to hear, like I have a pretty similar method as well when it comes to like, okay, I'm gonna sit down, try to be creative, try to put myself in a position where I can allow like ideas to kind of come without trying to just like sit somewhere and force things to come out. 
Yep. So yep. it's a little like, okay, like I'll do a little bit of like research and just, you know, picking like reference for stuff. And then I'll just get up, go for a walk, go in the shower, go do some other activity that I know that I can just totally like not think too much about. Yep. Focus on that and just let ideas kind of come. And I found that to be fairly successful for me. I, this is not me trying to make a, a Ryan David Lynch joke. I'm actually going to be serious for a minute. <laughs> but he has that video. He has, there's, a, there's a quote from him where he talks about how all of that creativity is inside of us. Yep. And he's, you're in another room and you're mm-hmm. basically fishing for ideas. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things that happens when you hit a block with a project is it's because you're thinking about the project too hard. This leads back into the fact that you need other activities to do or go for a walk. Man, like the, the, the shower inspiration thing is so real. Like yeah. It really yep. is because you you saw, start solving problems. Um, and I also have them in dreams. Like, I'll be frank, like I have solved artistic yep. problems in dreams and woken up yep. and written it down. Yep. Um, <laughs> and it's, it is getting your mind off the problem because you're trying too hard and you're forcing it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's once again a tricky line in that you cannot use that as an excuse not to sit down, hold the mouse, and start modeling or start painting or doing whatever. Like you yeah. have to get started and it's going to be tough sometimes and you have yep. to push past. That's the way of it. Or if you really, really can't, you need to self-analyze and see what is imbalanced in my life right now. Am I stressed out about something? Am I worried about something? Is it yep. a relationship problem? Is it depression? So on and so forth. Yeah. Like you have to be self-aware enough to know when you are not in an actual healthy state to work versus you are actually procrastinating and not pushing past the wall that can be like really tough. Like I'm not saying it's easy, but yeah. you, as you progress as an artist, oh, you just need to push past it. Right. Well, it goes back to the idea of what you mentioned about having a gut feeling about stuff. Yeah. And so it's being very much like trusting a lot of your instincts and stuff. It's like, if you've done it enough where you're just like, I'm sitting here trying to look at reference, looking up things and it's not coming. And you've done that a couple of times, you will know what that feeling is like. And then it's at that point, you're like, all right, I got to go find something that I know that's been successful for me. Absolutely. Put yourself in that position to be like, look, I'm fishing for ideas here. I'm not yeah. quite sure exactly what I'm going for, but I just need something. And so in a way, going back to kind of a little bit of the game dev side of things, it's like trying to find ways to iterate as quickly as you possibly can. Right. Yep. It's better to just cast a wide net of here's 10, 20 good ideas. Yep. Independent from each other. Which one of these fits what I'm trying to do? It's yeah. better to have that and try to figure that out versus just like trying to force something. Yeah. You no, know? absolutely. And like, as you sit down on a project, sometimes your first idea is the best idea. Yeah. Um, more often than not, that's not the case, but occasionally it does happen. Once again, with art, there are no absolute rules. And so one of the things that people get blocked by is they were so dedicated to their real idea. And this happens to me a lot is you're not flexible enough to yeah. go and try other things and experiment and break out of that mold. Like, my God, if you looked, so I have this, my folder with all, with all my work is just called Art Projects. And it is filled with folders that is everything I've ever done. And there are things in there that's like Mushroom Town. And <laughs> when you actually open, up, open it up, it's like, oh no, like this is a weird snow scene with these like brutalist buildings. That didn't go the way it planned. (laughs) So all of like most of my folder names don't actually relate to the end result. 
So God help anybody if they ever go through those folders. Like, I tr- trust me, I'm way better at work about this. I'm the most organized person at work. But at home, <laughs> like, I'm like, this folder starts as a total nightmare because I started off with an idea and then I found something else that was much more interesting and I let myself go with that flow because once again, why be so precious about your own idea? Yeah. You're so married to something looking a certain way and not realizing that, like, it turns out like your initial idea was total carbo and like you should have been, you should just try something out and like, and just play. So I think that covers like the high level of how I approach things. So on a technical level, modeling has always been my strong suit. I think Ryan knows this because Ryan's followed me for like the longest time. Like, oh, did, yeah, dude, like forever. I remember when you worked at like Adidas, you know. I did that giant, like I did that big, it's the, it's the Con-Am shuttle from Outland. Um, mm-hmm. which was actually like a multi-month project, funnily enough. I was way slower then. And that was like my big hard surface piece. Like that was the thing that was going to get me in the game industry, which it did. That's awesome. Um, but I always focused on modeling. I won't go through my history of tools, but I'll go through recently how I work and what I do. So last year when I moved over here, there was a small group of us now, larger group at Ubisoft Montreal that uses Lender. I was turned off by Blender for a while because I found their community to be like really like kind of uppity because it's a very big generalization, but like there was a lot of judgment about like paid apps and other things. And it felt, it, it turned me off a little bit, but I had this buddy of mine, Michael Penta, who's an artist I work with. He's an, a really wonderful, wonderful person. Dude's like a brother to me. He was like, yo, I've started using Blender. And I switched over to that and that changed my life as far as modeling goes because I use plugins, like there's a plugin called HardOps, which uh, makes, it's all, it's basically a hard surface modeling tool package. And it also lets you do bevels out. Like I don't have to manually insert a lot of edge loops. You just do a quick smooth and it keeps a history of that. You can adjust bevel widths on the fly it's using like weighted normals that you can, I, from what I gather, I, I'm not a very technical person, but I think it uses weighted normals that then you can bake down into a map. So you said there's like decal machine, which lets you like really easily just project decals onto a mesh um, and integrate them. Like it snaps everything to like curvature and whatever you want. Um, and then you can build like a library of assets. There's also, I think it's mesh machine is a new one. It's like decal machine, but for meshes, so let's say you have a bunch of buckles, you can move them around project them on the side of the mesh and it will integrate that into your mesh and like weld those verts and merge them together. Things like um, like box cutter, like, so for instance, like I, I used to be a big Mac user for a long time. I still use Maxivet for certain things, but I'm mostly yeah. Blender. Like if you want to Boolean something, um, which my name is Belgian Boolean, so I do that a lot. Uh, <laughs> like it's literally control, you select both objects and it's mm-hmm. control minus, and then you've done your Boolean. Ugh. Like. You, and that's that's it. And then you do like shift Q and then quickly, like it's got a circular menu like Maya does. Mm-hmm. Um, like a, uh, you can get a plugin for a pie menu and quickly click over to smooth. It yeah. adds a bevel to all of those edges and then you use your mask wheel to adjust the, uh, the, the, the basically the amount of bevel. I should be more public and just post like all the plugins that I have because the thing that I found out that was great about Blender was like base Blender, I think sucks. And I found it, like, the first two weeks of learning Blender were a night, and I almost wanted to break my keyboard. But once you push past that, you realize that, like, A, you have a tool that you want, somebody has made it, and most likely it's, or with hard ops, I think it's, like, 10 or 15 bucks. 
And like, come on, like you can afford 15 bucks for a thing that makes you, like for me, it made me, no joke, like 50, 50 to like 70% faster at modeling. That's awesome. Um, and so I don't- It sounds awesome. Like, it's, yeah, I need, no, it's, I need to pick this up, yeah. It's astonishing. So yeah, if you guys like- You just yeah. sold me on Blender. I didn't like, <laughs> 12 years I Blender. This is the first <laughs> one I'm, yeah, all right, there you go. That sounds good. So if there's, um, so if you actually go on my website, there is one thing that's like, it's like a hard surface kit bash set. And I think it's like, it's either 300 or 500 pieces. I know that's a really broad range that I think I did in like two to three weeks every evening using just Blender. And I was still really early on in Blender. So which that leads into the other thing is that I build kit bash sets. Yeah. Um, I grew up watching like a big influence for me is like 80s, 70s and 80s sci-fi movies. Um, so obviously like Alien and Aliens, but also like Star Wars and things like that. And like I have a huge amount of respect for those old school modelers who are just, we're going to buy six of these like Mitsubishi car models from Japan yep. so we can be able to build the spaceship because we need this, these specific parts. And I very much work the same way in 3D. It was one of the reasons why I was a terrible environment artist is like, I'm not great at optimization. I got, obviously, I got good. I got okay at it, but like, I really didn't want to spend the time worrying about optimizing. I wanted to spend the time making art. That makes me sound really bad, but like, that's kind of like, it's, there's, a, there's several reasons why I became a concert but that was one of them is like, look, this is a lot of technical stuff that's getting in the way of me being able to just make art. And I wasn't okay with that. And I was, and I knew, like, I just, I, I just knew I wasn't going to maintain if I didn't change that. So anyway, um, what I do is I have gone back to all my previous projects and broken them down into kit batch sets, um, and awesome. I have everything labeled. And then um, I grab a bunch of reference. So like, one of the kit, the kit batch set I made in Blender is actually like, it looks super sci-fi, but it's actually based off a lot of like industrial design stuff. I don't, I don't. People have asked me if I would sell it, and I don't because I, I don't have anything against people that sell kit bash sets, but I've also seen students yeah. use it as a shortcut instead of learning the tools. Yeah. And I'm really like not okay with like providing that. That's like, that's once again, that's no like shade on anybody who uses kit bash sets because, yo, we're all broke artists and we all gonna make money, but like I don't sell mine and that's why. Like you just said, right? You you spent a couple of weeks making it. That's it, right? And you, like you've gotten so much mileage out of it. Absolutely. I think it's something to just consider. It's like, hey, look, like think about spending, you know, an hour or two every night just making stuff. Especially if you're using a tool like what you mentioned, you have in Blender. It's like, oh shit, I can just pump stuff out all the time. I mean, like I've been using a lot of Kitbash stuff at work, primarily with architecture pieces, and it has been like I made a kit set handful of years ago for a bunch of stuff and it's just been a lifesaver. And it's amazing. Stuff. It's amazing yeah. because it's also it's also a different mindset. You yep. realize that like it's something that people I think actually don't respect a whole lot is that when you kit bash, it's actually a very different mindset than modeling something from scratch. Yep. And you have to learn how to use pieces. So like one of the things that happened is like the concept artist I worked at, worked with on a previous project, I gave him a kit bash set that I made for a project that I built up over time. It's kind of like part of my workflow as a 3D concept artist is that as we figured our language and I make a lot of stuff, they start building a kit bash out of that stuff. So essentially through Free Pro, I am faster and faster at being able to build concepts out 
but like he came from a 2D background. He's like, well, what size are these things supposed to be used at? And I was like, no, that's not how this works. Like these things can be any size. You can scale these up. And obviously it's, it's a bit different on the environment art, art side, depending on what you're working with. But like yeah. you can scale these things up. You can play with these shapes. There is a flexibility here about kit bashing in 3D that don't let yourself be constrained by scale. Anything can be anything. Just here is, a, imagine Legos that you can scale and move around. And so that's a really big one. The kit bash thing is really cool. That's also like going back to like, if you're hitting a creative block, build a kit bash set from reference because there is nothing easier than just having a, a folder of reference images of just industrial objects. Like I go on, I go on Home Depot or whatever website and we'll just download pictures of construction things. They could be tools, it could be, it could be whatever. And I will then sit there and you mindlessly model stuff. You've got a show going off on the side and you sit there and model. And it doesn't take a lot of brain power. You're just able to do it. And then you have something that serves you for a really long time. Um, so anytime I start a new project, there's usually about 70% kit bash with 30% new custom model. That's cool. Um, the other thing that I use, so when it comes to 3D is I've looked into shape generators in 3D and I see those as the equivalent of thumbnailing in 3D of like giving yourself some random shapes and seeing what you can start with. So there is a free script for 3DS Max called Rorschach. This menu pops up, it's totally free. It pops up and it lets you choose, it's either a random object or a list of primitives and then you can randomize modifiers that it's going to generate and it will just start generating some weird shapes for you. Um, they're very sometimes kind of fractal-like, but that can be helpful if you need to jog your brain a little bit for some stuff. Uh, Blender also has a shape generator, but I'm so sorry. I've completely spaced on it right now. Um, but there is also like a shape generator for Blender um, that lets you adjust like the amount of extrusions, the smoothness of the object and things like that. And so that's how I, when people ask me whether I start in 2D, it's like, no, I, I thumbnail in 3D or I play with my kit bash set and I play with proportions. The other thing that I do, this is a weird one, um, is I'll actually use, this is an old trick that Pascal Blanchet had in one of his, he did an article in, like some, in a, one of the ballistic books like years back when I was still in college, was there is a way to import Illustrator files into Mac. They have to be saved out as like, I think Illustrator seven or eight files or something, it's something old, mm -hmm. but that is a way to generate shapes. And so in Illustrator, I would do super weird shapes and then export into Max and then it import, imports as a spline and you can extrude that out. One of my more recent pieces was a like a Bangkok cyberpunk space. Those structures are based off of Thailand, like typography. And so I found like royalty-free fonts and obviously Max has a text tool and I extruded those out. The shapes are unbelievable. Like it's, it's really, really incredible. And so I use those as the foundation for all of my buildings. That's awesome. um, so it's literally just text extruded out and then um, greebles and such and crash over on top. For cell-shaded work, I originally started with Keyshot and I still use Keyshot a bit. For the longest time, Keyshot was my renderer. Um, yeah. because it was, you know, it was relatively fast. It has an amazing tune shader in it. So what you can do for, like I've done some, people really like the black and white minimalist pieces I've done. The way you do those, you use a tune shader and then you take the HDRI, uh, a really high contrast HDRI, 
and you crank up its brightness and contrast as high as you can. Also very similar to what I did for Spectrum, which was a retro sci-fi series that, you know, it may keep going, it may not, that is like it's 70s, very like graphical sci-fi series and all of that's done in 3D. Um, by way of key shots using their tune shader. Some of the other things that happen is because you kit bash, I shove a lot of meshes together. The meshes are gross. I am totally not gonna lie. The meshes, like you, you kind of gawk at them. Like they, it's not pretty, but it's fast and it gets the job done. And so one of the ways that you can get away with that of putting those things together, getting the seams, is most renderers like both Keyshot and I've used Redshift for a while and like now I've switched to Octane. All of them usually have a curvature and or ambient occlusion that is real time. And so what you can do is then use AO or curvature to mix that with a texture mask so that you can blend those pieces together with dust and grime. So you're basically hiding all of your ugliness. So that's a really, really key thing I do. And then, and then also like the upside to curvature nodes is that because they can detect the high edges and not just the AO and the depth is that you can also use masks to do procedural edge wear. Cool. So essentially when I approach key, whether it's key shot or redshift or octane, what I will do is I, one of the first things I do when I start a new render, learning it, getting comfortable, is I build that library of procedural stuff so that I always have material that does automatic edge wear, that does that grunge, everything. Um, and that way, because you should, like, don't build things over and over again. Like, you're, if, especially on the concept side, and I think, you know, I think it happens on the environment side, there's no point in repeating yeah, processes. And I, I really think that goes for everybody. It's, it's finding efficient shortcuts that let you work. And so one thing I'll be clear about, I have never been a good texture artist. I wasn't great in college. And then everywhere I work, had tiling materials built by material artists. Um, and so I've always been a focused modeler. So I, I want to be absolutely clear. So the two services that I use are Game Textures, uh, which is run by Tanner Kalstrom um, and a few other folks. And they're like extremely wonderful people. Like they're really, really good. Like Tanner was the one that started that business. And like I subscribe to that service um, and it's really awesome. And then the other thing that I use is Megascans, right? Yeah. And so depending on what I need, I hop back and forth. Because the thing is, as a concept artist, like if I'm spending a whole lot of time building materials from scratch, uh, I am doing it wrong. Like there are resources to pay for out there. And in the studio, there's usually material artists and stuff that you can take. And so that cuts out a major process for me. Mostly what I do is then it's mostly like Photoshop and doing like, I use a lot of graphical patterns. So it's building those out and overlaying those over materials. And then essentially it's, it's building shaders that have these baked in textures, but have procedural wear and tear and grunge and things like that, that then I can adjust for whatever project I'm working on. Basically, if I've nailed something once in a scene, I am going to save that scene and know that if I want to do that style again, all I need to do is import the mesh, make sure it's at the right scale, and I already have the look dev work like done. I'm trying to think of what else. So the, the biggest, one of the more recent things is I switched to Octane. I use Octane standalone right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's a GPU-based renderer. Um, I've got a 1080 Ti, and so things are pretty quick on my end as a result. Um, there is an amazing tutorial, Julien Gauthier, that's J-U-L-I-E-N-G-A-U-T-H-I-E-R. 
has a Octane for Concept Art and an Advanced Techniques up on Gumroad. And I have bought both of his videos and he shows, he's also a 2D artist, so he shows how he integrates 2D and Octane, but he shows how he uses displacement maps to generate buildings. And so my, like my more recent pieces are actually not all modeled, it's using displacement maps um, that I have built. Um, and it's super fast, it's super efficient. Uh, and so I, it, I take some quick and dirty unwraps and then by playing with like, I have a, a library of displacement maps that I've built um, or things that were just free or part of that tutorial um, that then I use and integrate into my workflow. That's another thing is to just keep a library of assets. The other thing I use, every render I use has, uh, requires HDRIs. So I use yeah. a site called HDRI Haven, which has free HDRIs for everybody. Um, they're all under a CEO license. The highest ones are like 16K. So I don't use those because that actually like, after a while starts like even killing my machine, but you can go from like, I think it's like 2K to 16K. So there's an immense library of high quality HDRIs from there to use. So I download a bunch of those. I have a library of those people from. I also have a library of uh, loot files, like um, image like correction files that I use because like Octane lets you plug those in to quickly change like mood and whatnot. It doesn't, and it's, since it's a post effect, it doesn't adjust rendering time, it keeps rendering. So as it's rendering, you're able to do a bunch of color changes um, and things That's like awesome. that. I bought a few packs of those or made them of my own. I've been able to like color pick from movies I like. So I, you know, even like funnily enough, some David Lynch stuff or some other directors that I like. <laughs> David Fincher, David Fincher is like a big one where I like oh, palettes. Yeah. And so build, quickly building like an Elliot loot file for those and then bringing those in so I can recreate like cinematic looks that I like. And so it's building a library of those. So I know that color is flexible. Previously before that, it was Photoshop actions where I built a library of Photoshop actions to sit there and change color and add vignettes and like subtle variations. Like once I'd finished a render, then it was the Photoshop part. The Photoshop part doesn't exist anymore since I can do it mostly in Octane. I also use Houdini a bit because of its proceduralism. I have used, I've, I've started using Houdini as part of a conceptual process because I've looked into like, um, if you're familiar with like generative design, for those that don't know, generative design is essentially like you feed a bunch of information into a computer and say, I like, I wanna make a bike and I want it to meet these specifications and use X amount of material and things like that. And when it tends to spit out is stuff that's very, very organic and looks almost weirdly alien. So finding ways to like, there's a Vimeo channel called Antagma, E-N-T-A-G-M-A, um, that is run by two of these German guys and they show how to use Houdini for a bunch of, just to solve design problems, like visual design problems. And there's some fascinating material in there about like, fractals um, and things like that. And so I've integrated that. So I also use, there's an old program called Mandelbulb 3D. It is a really weird program to wrap your head around, but it's a way to generate Mandelbulbs, which are essentially infinite fractals. Mm -hmm. In theory, you can zoom in and get infinite detail. There is, I think it's Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has some scenes that use Mandelbulb and then Annihilation has some scenes that use Mandelbulbs. Yeah, oh man, um, yeah. So uh, there is a way, it's a very messy port those out. So if you want to do really 
abstract, crazy 3D fractals, you can use Mandelbulb 3D and that's completely free. I think that's uh, the other, so here's a really, really like also a quick trick is if you want to get like really good molded shapes um, or like fast looking molded plastic shapes or, or metal shells or things like that, stuff like uh, the machine and creaker look, things like that, a really easy technique to do that is to quickly build your silhouette, jam those meshes together, export them into ZBrush, and then just dynamesh them. So you can do dirt, dirty boovians, everything, whatever. Bring it to ZBrush, dynamesh it, um, and that will automatically give you the bevels and the smoothness that you, that you need. So that means that you can be a really messy and go into ZBrush, dynamesh it, and then you can use ZRemesher to give you some cleaner topology that follows the curvature and gives you a little bit more control over like topology and things. Both broad and specific strokes like those are the tools that I use and like, that's how I approach things. Um, I'm trying to think there's also, um, if you're a person who doesn't like making terrain, like I am, I'm not a specific like, I am not like Alex Draycott who is amazing <laughs> with organics and terrain. Um, it's funny, Alex and I have known each other for ages, and we're both very similar, and yet the complete opposite. Um, he has a technical mindset that I don't necessarily have, but um, for building terrain, um, there is a, if you look up high-rise digital terrain, it's digital terrain models that are, um, it is uh, satellite photography of Mars. Um, and they let you download what's called DTM files. And those DTM files, if you get the right plugin for Blender, you can open them up and adjust the resolution to import them so you can have them be low-res low or high-res um, as you import them in. And that gives you um, a broad range of terrain. Um, that's a very weird sentence to say. Uh, but to make my concept art, I use terrain from Mars. Mars yeah. So I, I went into space and I gathered this data and I came back to you all and said, hey, this is the concept art that I it's, have. That's kind of a great way to <laughs> you go through all of these techniques and different software and you end with. Yeah. So, <laughs> with Mars terrain. <laughs> um, on my art station, I have, um, on my art station, I, I believe on my blog, um, I have a link to high rise um, and that terrain data. Um, awesome. So if people are curious about that, they can check it out there. I'm trying to be better at being more transparent about um, the tools that I use. So occasionally I do blog posts saying, hey, this is a resource, um, high rise on there. Um, I also, like lately have been using there's like medical scans of um like animal skeletons oh, um, so i use those and dynamesh those with my kit bash set because like i you know those assets are like free to use and like if you do the research and rights it's like okay it's cool i can use these and so um actually like my latest project that i'm finishing up right now is uh is a uh, metal gear ray in like a machine and Krieger slash Geiger uh, style. Oh, and cool. that's a mix of displacement maps, but it's also like my kit bash and also like animal skeletons um, mixed in um, and blended together. Um, but yeah, so I'm sure I'm missing some things, but that's a really high level. Those are some tools that I use and kind of my approach to things. Oh, heck yeah. Um, I mean, you've, you've given so much. <laughs> Just with that, I mean, that should be enough for like anyone attempting to at least like 
get into something like a fast iterative process. I mean, the one thing I would say is just like, I'm kind of blown away. Like uh, Ryan and I have been quiet. I, I've been actually writing down half the stuff you've been saying just because it's like, man. What do you think I've been doing the whole time? <laughs> 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 writing, writing all stuff down. That looks great. Dude, it's amazing. Uh, and specifically, like if you guys like have questions, like feel free to hit me up. Sometimes I'll be honest. Sometimes I'm bad at responding to messages. And yeah. I'm also like, um, sometimes I like need some personal space. So I'm not Johnny on the spot to responding to everybody's messages uh, yeah, on man. Twitter. But um, please feel free to hit me up. I will do my best to answer. Um, and if you guys have specific questions about resources that I use, um, I can absolutely like let you guys know. But those things have all been like extremely helpful for me. But I, I the thing, there's two things I want to say is like, one is I am fast because I also like don't build everything from scratch because that's insane. Yeah. And whether you're a concept artist or an environment artist, you shouldn't build anything from scratch and you should find ways to be able to like cut some corners and ease the process a little bit. But I also want to make it clear that also the reason why I'm fast is, is once I, I, hope, I hope like, I, I don't mean to sound like just when I say this, but it, it does take a lot of practice. Yeah. Like you have to do it a lot and you have to make a lot of art to have an eye to how, for how to use these tools appropriately. And so like one of the things, the question I get a lot is like what tools I use. And like, I don't mind answering that question. Like obviously I have no problem answering that here, but I get it on Twitter a lot from students. And I yeah. think that there is a bad assumption that a simple tool will simply make you a, like a tool will make you, a fast tool will make you a better artist. And that's not the case. Oh, like, uh, yeah. you have to have the practice to get in to be able to use these tools in an appropriate manner. And so, and to be able to make, like, to make art. And so I, I think, like, please, like, nobody should ever discount the fact that, like, at the end of the day, it also takes a lot of hard work and making right. a bunch of things to be quick. The tools are there to help you, but you've got to know what you're doing to be able to make use of those. Um, because I think a lot of young artists are constantly looking for shortcuts and looking for the next big tool to make them better. And there is no make good art tool. Yep. Like there, there just, there isn't, there isn't, and there never will be. And the, the, there's sometimes, I, this happens a lot with some procedural hard surface stuff that I have seen come into play recently is as a result, it looks poorly designed and it looks bad. Yep. Um, right. And I think, uh, I think just be careful about the shortcuts that you're taking, like, like I encourage people to learn how to do these things before they take the shortcuts, but you know, do with that what you will. But yeah, that's that's the info. It's interesting because, I mean, even though you're working in digital space, like you're not far from the tree of normal model making and you know, like things that kind of inspired you as a kid and now as an adult. You're 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 technically, you know, you're you're getting all your kits together, which would be theoretically like model kits. You know, you're figuring yeah. out what works with you, what works for you, and then all your different renderers and your blender and all your plugins. It's just the same thing as using spray paint and also using a, acrylic gloss medium or something. You know what I'm saying? Like you're being way more artistic with these digital tools that I think people can really even realize, especially students, where it's like, this isn't a pipeline that's meant to make the next AAA game. I mean, you're, you're making digital art that has, it's robust as an actual physical piece at this point. Well, for, well, for me, it's, it's what, what happens is I, I know as I progress through a project, I know a specific look. And yeah. so I hate straight up problem solving and building a pipeline. But I love it when it's masked within book dev. 
yeah. which is what I do, which is like, this is a look that I want to mimic or I want to do an interpretation of. Yeah. What can I do to get there? If you want to make the same looking art all the time, which is fine, because some people have their style and that's awesome. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that person. I don't think I will ever be that person. Um, I'm just too fickle. So yeah. for me, it is the motivation is building pipelines to hit that specific look. And I love problem solving. I love look dev problem solving and digging into these tools to find a way to get the visual that, that I want and learning how to use those tools as a result. Um, and yeah. then being able to have a library of those things so that it makes art easier and faster to make. Because why would I want to spend a whole bunch of time remaking things or building a bunch of stuff from scratch when I know that I've built these things earlier and I can reuse them again for a new yep. product? Yep. I, 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 I made just, a chair, don't... Don't, yeah, around. don't make another one. Like, yeah. come on now. Like, you, you did it fine the first time you could tweak some things and use it for the new one. And I, I'm just a really, I'm a firm believer. I, I, I think there are some people that are very staunch about constantly building things from scratch. And the thing is, I did that for a really long time and I can still, like, no wrong, I can still, I can model fast. Like, and I know that I'm fast, yeah. but I also know when I need to do that and when I don't. The reality of it is too, is that like, even in creating environment for a game, I've been tr really trying to kind of, uh, to communicate this idea that basically like you, you the trash can and the fire hydrant on your on your street or the little greeble on the side of your building for some sort of cyberpunk scene or that the uh, the ac unit doesn't need to be this this piece that needs to stand on its own this like really high fidelity asset that's going to change the world i mean it is that you need to just have some stuff that just that sits as gesture on the page to kind of help the holistic image yeah. It's a huge mistake artists make is they constantly yeah. think that everything is this hero asset. Yeah. And it's like, look, like, no, it is the it is the big picture. It's a weird thing because I know I've made some visually super busy, but I'm also like a fan of like big Reebly stuff. But yeah. I also know I have seen like I have seen art in games where people treated like an AC unit. It was like the sword of Hyrule. Yeah. And it's like Come on now, like you treated every asset like this, and as a result, this scene is so visually busy. Yep. Like not, not to mention is... that you spent, you know, like additional months to, you know, like you're behind, you know, you're behind time on cre uh, finishing some sort of yeah. area or something that, because of that. And it, and it's it's the mistake that people think is that when they come into making video games, is that they think like, oh, I will have all of this time to make X thing. It's like no, like you need to be quick. Yeah. You need to be quick and you need to be efficient and you need to know, like, if you're new, people have patience with you. Well, good people have patience with you. You Also, you're going to have assets that you're going to be like, cool, hey, yeah, it'd be great if we had eight different textures. You got two. Yo, do what you like, can with it. Right? Yo, dude, I remember, like, I remember having to make trash can. I remember having to make pipes. And, like, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but you do it and you understand how to do it quickly and get it done so that a scene looks good. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that I was an environment artist for a long time because it, it taught me, like, the requirements that environment artists have, but it taught me that, and it taught me design requirements, which feed into the work that I do as, like, a 3D concept artist. And it's something that I'm cognizant of as I'm making concept art because I'm a firm believer that 3D concept art should be, like, I'm not saying it should ever replace 2D concept artists. I really want to make that abundantly clear because I think that there's some traditional artists that feel it threatened by 3D or think that it's the wrong way to go. But I, 
also think there is value in it in the sense that there like there are several individuals that I work with at Ubisoft that uh, I'm able to work on a concept and go through those iterations and be able to hand them a mesh yeah. and be able to work in a way that there is a direct pipeline between the concept work I do and what an environment artist does. And it still gives them the wiggle room to do their interpretation of what I've done. Like I'm not so like I'm not so possessive of my concepts that I don't want somebody to reinterpret it and add something. Like yeah. Um, but it does make for a very, very fascinating pipeline of being able to concept stuff in 3D and then hand things over to an environment artist for them to be able to work on. I'm, I'm very, very fond of like that direct relationship because in some studios I've found that concept was very, very separated from environment and production. And I think that there should be like a stronger bridge there. And working with 3D assets, I think it helps in a big way as a result. That's why like I'm a very big proponent of like other people becoming 3D concept artists and realizing this is, while it is relatively new, it's about. Oh man, that's all great stuff. That's, you know, I think at the end of the day, like the thing that I've learned the most is that it's more important to work smarter and get as much work, quality work as you can, rather than like the brutal artist approach of like everything's got to be handmade. Because it's like, it's not realistic, you know? No. Yeah, you might have some studios that have like 80, 90 artists that are able to ZBrush every single little thing but yeah. that's again it's not realistic and yeah. it's like i've also seen that particular game you know i also think there there are some studios that pull that off and that understand how that works and do that and i've also seen that mentality completely bite a studio in the ass where they yeah. get a few months before ship and they realize that they have all of these unique textures and all of these unique meshes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all of a sudden they go how do we ship this because we treated everything like it needed to be a hero asset and i yep, think that's yep. like i i really whether you're a concept artist, like like how i work and how i can bash is no different than concept artists buying like buying brush kits or building their own brush kits or whatnot or having like the different brushes for how they work like it's all the same thing and it's understanding it's the same thing with with environment art in a game like even you know even on halo 5 and it was the same thing it was the same thing on Halo Wars. I built a kit bash set and I shared it with the environment artist. And I said, here's stuff that we know is approved. Find ways to integrate this. Like, yeah, you may have to re-unwrap some stuff or whatnot, but at least some geo is done for you. And yeah, you have some shapes that you can work with. And at least gets you past that first iteration to figure out, like, you know, especially on both of those games, we were making art while stuff was being designed at the same time. And so iteration was key and yep. being able to work in a way that's flexible, that you know, like that's a really key thing is working in a way where you know you can change things quickly. I know that I can adjust quickly because I can move my, even if I've dynamesh something together, I can, I make sure that I save and iterate in a way that I can then rearrange those meshes, re-export out and then dynamesh it together again. Like it's all like, cause, you really gonna spend like hours remodeling something? Like I'm not. Like I like I I just don't believe. I just don't believe in that mentality. I believe in working and working smarter. Yeah, it, it, what's yeah. nice too is that the the things that kind of naturally don't get as much attention, I, kind of, I almost have this kind of like a vibration of like real life. This kind of subliminal thing that you pick up on when you're walking down the street that it just yeah. comes into the game because you're not going to look at everything on the street and honestly everything that you see in real life 
is not <laughs> is not crafted with the utmost attention either. A lot of these things are kind of spit out and and made very quickly just to kind of sell and make a quick buck. It really serves its purpose. To be clear too, I mean, there's always like there's room for this like you know like neo like I don't know how else to describe it like a neo rococo <laughs> game yeah, development. No. <laughs> you know? No, totally. Yeah. yeah. Like I and, and and to be clear, like there's a dichotomy, and I understand this is a dichotomy in my own art between, um, I think, an element of simplicity and what is an overall mood and atmosphere versus stuff that is extremely detailed. Yeah. Um, I get you know like my 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 dad is an artist, was an extremely like detail detail oriented person, and so as a result, I think um, I am as well. And so there's some art that's extremely like full of details because whatever that's how i get my kicks like yeah and i have i have learned to stop being ashamed of that even if people consider that bad design i'm having fun doing it and i've learned to yeah. integrate that with big broad color patterns in a way that i think is appealing but i will also do like i you know i can also do the clean stuff as well like i what's good what we were talking about is the fact that like all art rules are, are meant to be broken and it is very relative to what you are doing but if you choose to go in a direction, you need to make sure that you have figured out your pipeline so that it's flexible and you can work in a smart and intelligent way. But if you want to do, you can, that means whether you're doing something super detailed or something super simple, it is all about defining that approach and making sure that you're working intelligently. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people don't take that time to build that pipeline up front. And, uh, you know, and it applies to concept artists as well as like figuring out how do you iterate quickly and what's the fast way to well you know what it's been an awesome cast so far ben you've been just really imparting some awesome knowledge not only to ryan and i but to all our listeners and i would love to keep talking with you guys but um it's probably best that we just let what was said today kind of sit and have you back for another episode in the in the near future it's, it's also east coast versus west coast times like yeah. it's 9 30 my time and like ryan is I'm ready to go to the club after this. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you old guy. Wait, wait, who goes to the club at no. 6.30? <laughs> right. I have Ryan's... a 9.30 bedtime, okay, man? So Ryan's hip lifestyle is holding us back from continuing to talk. But um, no, like I, I can't tell you enough. This is such a humbling thing to be able to do and to talk with you guys. And like, uh, you know. Like I said, I have known you guys online for a really long time. And like yeah. to have the chance to actually be able to talk with you, even though though some of it was very extremely welcome monologues from my end. Nah, man, I really, really good. appreciate the opportunity and like um, I thank you both so so much for coming. Heck I yeah. Appreciate it. And that that's the point too. I mean, like we have we have our episodes where Ryan and I talk about Twin Peaks and then well, then we have the ones where <laughs> Not <laughs> yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. That's, that's <laughs> why that's why I kept on so long. Just like, get ready. I was like, Ryan's gonna talk about the log lady, and like, I need to just like keep cutting him <laughs> off as much as possible. Otherwise, the rest is gonna be like two hours of that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but yeah, well, I'm, well, well, you know, this this has been fantastic. But the whole point is sharing uh, other stories of environment artists, and you used to be an environment artist, and it's great to talk to a concept artist that has that background. So it's been it's been fantastic, man. And thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next episode. Thank you, guys. Thank yeah, you guys. thanks. Bye. All right. Bye, guys.
So what I'm going to do is I'll count down the three, and then I'll ask that from three, and then I'll ask that question again, and hopefully okay. I ask it better this time. And then we'll just I, go from. You know, hey, Justin. Yeah. You better you better ask it better this time. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> now I feel like what Ryan felt like when he's trying to count down. Uh, I'm old. I need to go watch my program. <laughs> I know. All right. Uh, three, two, one.